to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech. I'm Jude Jennison, the host of this podcast, and I'm the founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I work with senior leadership teams to help them align through behavioural change. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the intersection between technology, humanity and leadership and looking at how we use technology to be more human and increase emotional connection and enhance the way that we live and work. I'll be interviewing leaders from technology businesses who are at the forefront of changing how we live and work. You will not want to miss this. Some of the conversations have been enlightening and inspiring and I hope you enjoy them as much as I have done. Josh Winfield is Head of Talent Visa for Tech Nation. Josh works closely with the government and tech businesses to support the immigration of tech talent to drive growth in UK technology businesses. I know Josh from a few years ago when he coached me on the NatWest Entrepreneur Accelerator programme. Josh is smart, forward-thinking and innovative, and he understands startups having run his own business in his early 20s and coached hundreds of entrepreneurs and startups too. Josh is a challenger, so it's good for me to be challenging him with the questions for a change. Have a listen. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, so I am Josh Winfield. I am the Global Talent Visa Lead at Tech Nation. Uh, so Tech Nation are one of the uh, foremost authorities and accelerators for tech businesses in the UK of any size and scale. Uh, we're renowned for uh, a wide range of tech support programs from very early stage tech businesses right the way through to uh, late stage uh, tech unicorns and everything in between across net zero, uh, ethnic minority founders and so on. We also do a huge amount of uh, commissioned insights reporting on the tech sector here in the UK. And then where I sit and uh, my my favourite bit of Tech Nation, I would say biasly, uh, is we uh, handle all endorsements for the Global Talent Visa. So uh, the Global Talent Visa is available for supremely talented tech individuals across the world uh, to access, live and work in the UK's tech sector. Uh, And we handle all of the applications, the promotional uh, marketing and the ongoing updates to to criteria for that. So... uh, uh, yeah, that is my role in a nutshell, helping the best talent from across the world to call the UK home. So you're so you're effectively then looking out. Are you looking out for talent across the world? Are you personally looking out for talent, or how how does it work? So no, we don't proactively recruit. We don't pro- proactively source. Um, what we find actually is the immigration route is becoming increasingly popular. Where we tend to work is we work closely in partnership with the likes of uh, VCs, angel investors, across to uh, university alumni uh, organisations, and of course tech businesses here in the UK that are increasingly looking beyond our borders to supplement their skills uh, requirements. Uh, and so they're, they're constantly looking for immigration routes to do that. There is, of course, the skilled worker route, uh, but that is can quite often be very time consuming, quite costly, um, whereas immigration routes like ours present significant advantages from a cost and time perspective. So we typically spend most of our time raising awareness with organisations, with universities, with foreign and commonwealth development offices and the VC community. And are there particular pockets around the world where there are particular types of talent uh, I think so. I mean, it, it does tend to be a mixed bag. And I mean, you, you get talent from 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 everywhere. Um, certainly, we see a huge amount of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning coming from places like India, South Korea, 
um, Asia Pacific, um, but increasingly it's coming up in, in the US as well. But yeah, you do see pockets and you do see trends uh, from time to time and they do develop. You have a huge number of tech consultants relocating from, from India and the subcontinent to the UK. Uh, you have a huge amount of sort of the more C-suite marketing professionals relocating from the US and North America. So they're, they're not truly defined and they can sort of defy convention on a month by month basis sometimes. But yeah, there are patterns for sure of talent. And are you seeing any trends in the type of tech businesses that are looking to recruit talent? Uh, in, in as much as we're actually seeing a, an expand an expansion of the breadth of businesses that are looking beyond um, the, the, the UK's borders. So more and more tech businesses, whereas before it used to be um, businesses that straddled academic research and technology, they would very often look uh, for, for international talent to come in and, and supplement that. Increasingly, it has been, um, for instance, using our visa to relocate very, very high-end talent from Silicon Valley and New England or Australia and, and, and South Korea, places like that. So more and more businesses are becoming aware. And there's a very good reason for that, which is that we have a phenomenal amount of organic tech talent here in the UK. Phenomenal. There is nothing wrong with the standards of education or, or the rate of churn. Simply, we have had two record-breaking years of investment in the UK. You it was 15 billion in 2020, which everybody went, God, that's amazing. And then we doubled it in 2021, you know, 30 billion in investment with a confirmed 8 billion in dry powder for early 2022 by December. What that means is that the appetite for investment is bigger than it's ever been. Therefore, the investments that are being given are being given on the basis of larger growth ambitions that there have ever been. And so we have this great organic talent here in the UK, but even that can't keep up with the, the growth ambitions of, of the UK tech businesses. So we're actually seeing that more and more genres, more and more facets of the tech industry, tech sector rather, are looking beyond the borders for the first time quite often and even those really early stage businesses as well those that are maybe hiring their third or fourth hire they're now starting to look beyond the UK's borders as well. And do you think there's a risk that this becomes the the dot-com boom and bust of the, of the 1990s which I know was way before your time but, but do you think there's a there's a risk that everybody's excited about tech and everybody wants to create the next tech business or the next app or do you think there's a risk that that we can't all create the next Uber or Airbnb or Facebook? I think everything goes in in, in a cycle and I think everything is peak and trough. I, I don't think, to, to come back to your point around the dot-com boom and, and everything, I am old enough to remember that, but only... <laughs> um, I don't think we're, we're dealing with quite the same thing here, simply because tech continue has and continues to have an impact on how we live our lives you know look at how we're communicating right now and, and, and so on and so on so there will always be elements of tech that stay i think you know so there's always going to be like a mainstream of tech that will will continue to be and will continue to expand within that there will then be sort of a a, a peak and trough line that intersects with that from time to time where we push boundaries in one particular area and that may you know that may either succeed or fail we might you know push boundaries in another area and it goes the other way and so on so i think areas of tech that are hot might that are hot right now might then start to to, to come down and so on and so on but do I think that the tech trajectory will fundamentally alter or, or, or nosedive? No, I, I don't think so. There is such a, certainly not in, in the same way as the dot-com boom, simply because the amount of investment that we've got now, the amount invested in 2021 alone sustains the growth of the tech industry into the 2030s. 
And the amount of investment that's happened in the first half of this year probably extends that again. When you look at the fact that the majority of the G7 economies as well, they don't have their raw industries anymore. You know, we can talk about the UK and the UK used to be, you know, manufacturing, mining, et cetera, et cetera. And we're, we're, we're not now. Those industries are outsourced where we are a superpower and we are a superpower. You know, I don't use that word um, in, in any cliched sense. You know, we are the third. We are third in the world from um, a tech development and expansion perspective behind the US and China. Now, we're never going to be any higher than third when you look at those two giants. But the fact that the UK holds its own there. I think that shows the depth of respect for UK skills, the UK's ability to build tech businesses. We are respected as a, as a tech nation, no pun intended, you know, and uh, and so, no, I don't I don't think that we're in a dot com boom situation. Yes, tech will always have, you know, more or less importance or more or less favour with the public. But fundamentally, I think it's here to stay and it's here to grow. And, and what is hot right now? Uh, so there isn't a day really that goes by where I don't speak to a company about where I can find the latest AI and machine learning tech mm-hmm. professionals. Th- those are areas that are getting phenomenally well funded um, across the board. And whether that is AI in a traditional banking sense. So, you know, we, we've, you know, we, we have conversations with high street banks right the way through to, you know, car manufacturers, um, you know, based here in the UK that want to bring in AI and ML. Uh, talent and then across every available facet and then of course tied in with that and tied in with the 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 the, the natural desires or the, the sort of the, the um on trend desires of the world at the moment any areas of tech that are in any way linked to a sustainability agenda are then fundamentally very very well invested highly thought of and um, tech nation itself has just released its net zero accelerator program not surprisingly focusing on the development of uh, tech businesses that facilitate net zero ambitions. So those are the areas where it's never easy to get VC funding. I don't want to make a flippant comment like that, but those are the areas where we're seeing money money walk out the door very quickly. You know, mm. that's not to say that those pitches aren't immaculate from those businesses, but we're seeing money get through the door very quickly at those businesses. Interesting. And um, and I was going to ask you where where are the VCs particularly interested in in investing? So is that is that in sustainability? Are there are there other things that they're looking for as well? Yeah, I think sustainability is uh, sustainability is is sort of very trendy, but fundamentally it has its absolute right place you know it's good that it's trendy and and it's good that it's getting so much attention i think it's been overlooked for a long time so it's you know it's 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 reached its salad days and you know i you know they should feast as far as i'm concerned you know there are some phenomenal green tech businesses that are being funded um the, the area simply because it's in the wider interest um the area you know as well that is similarly well funded is fintech you know, the, the financial freedom, look at the likes of Starling Bank or any challenger bank for that matter. You know, they are banks, they are organizations that have put a lot of time and investment into their own technology, but they're also financial organizations that are willing to learn, willing to go, who does this better than we do? What other, you know, boutique fintech businesses or smaller fintech businesses do one aspect of what we want to do really well? Can we either partner with them? Can we, you know, can we acquire them? Can we bring their skills in-house to build a truly fantastic fintech product that not only allows the public to control their money more, but also educate more? And that's been an area, you know, of um, if, uh, it's been quite antiquated in banking for a long time. You know my history. Uh, and, and, and so you, you, you know that I have a lot of experience in that sort of more traditional banking environment. And it's, it's refreshing to see that there, to see that level of investment. It's refreshing to see that amount of innovation in, in fintech. So, you know, um, 
green tech, fintech, those those two areas, and then of course AI and machine learning. Those are the three areas where you rarely have a VC turn a conversation down in those areas. And that's not to say they're the only three, but those are the areas, you know, if we're, if we're talking about trends and where we spend a lot of our time, it's, it's across those areas for sure. Yeah. Do you think there's a risk that um, from an investment point of view, that if you're not part of the latest trend and you're on the fringes or you're a bit niche, do you think there's a risk that investors are, going to overlook some really solid businesses that you know either might be tech businesses or may not be tech businesses but but because they're not on the hot list of ai machine learning sustainability or fintech that that they just get dismissed Um, i think there is a lot of truth in what you're saying but that's not to discredit vcs or investors of any kind you know whether that's Mm. graph or institutional investment you know the, the world works on trends, you know, mm, and mm. and so certainly, you know, businesses that find themselves in those those areas, those niches that we've talked about, probably are at a slight advantage. Um, and and likewise, you know, there are there are individuals, there are organisations that 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 miss investments that would have been exceptionally prudent. You know, you look at there's that age old story about Blockbuster being invited to invest in Netflix, and and you know, we so so those situations will always happen, and they can't be avoided. What I do find, however, now is that because there is, people are more and more willing to invest. Like we're seeing, you know, the, the record-breaking investment in 2020, then immediately not only beaten, but doubled in 2021. The fact that we're in April of 2022, and there's already sort of rumours of, uh, you know, five to six billions worth of deals done this year as well, suggests that we're on track for another record-breaking year. I think there is now a willingness to be more um, open, to do more research, to perhaps invest more widely than there ever has been. The best way that I can sort of describe that is certainly what we're seeing, and and Tech Nation again has a program called Libra, which is for ethnic minority founders or businesses with at least one ethnic minority co-founder. We're seeing businesses, and these these are businesses across the whole gamut of tech. They're not just, you know, green tech or fintech, they are across the whole gamut. And they're getting more and more opportunities in front of VCs. So, yes, I think, you know, what's trendy is always going to be quite useful in getting in front of a VC. But we work with some phenomenal organizations. Like Hoxton Ventures is one that we work with. And those guys, to, to my mind, they don't put a foot wrong. You know, they 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 will consider and Fuel Ventures as well is another one that, that's absolutely worth a mention. They, they will review every single deck that they get. You know, and they will review it as human beings rather than just in investors. And more and more, I think the attitude to tech investment is, is this the right thing to do? As well as, do we think there's a commercial return on this? You know, a VC has to think pragmatically. They have to keep their their invest their partners happy, you know, so they, they have to, you know. But I think more and more are, are considering both the question, is this going to be a commercially viable opportunity? And is this the right thing to do? And whilst... A lot of VCs will maintain that they've always had the, those two considerations. I think it's more 50-50 than it's ever been. So to answer your question, yes, I'm aware that I've said this in quite a roundabout way, but yes, undoubtedly, some great innovations will get missed. That that's, That is human nature, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But to contrast that, I think there has never been a better opportunity or a more level playing field for VC investment. That's not to say that VCs can't do more. That's not to say that the investment area in general can't do more to be more inclusive and to be more expansive but i would maintain that it's probably the best conditions that there have ever been for vc investment in tech okay um now we know you're you're based in birmingham in the uk um 
What's the Birmingham market like from a tech point of view? So this is really interesting. And people, you know, people that have have uh, any interest in Birmingham or that have listened to this podcast or, or connect with Birmingham Tech anyway, they'll be very, very familiar with the Ron Khalifa report, which is that I think Birmingham is still in that phase of, of it's still in that potential phase. You know, we, we have some phenomenal tech businesses in Birmingham. We have some phenomenal support organisations for tech businesses in Birmingham, Birmingham Tech being one of them. But the reciting of HSBC to Birmingham is a really interesting one as well, because unlike a lot of high street banks, HSBC has sat in their Birmingham HQ ahead of technology sector, which is specifically for their tech business customers, admittedly across the world, but they're placed in Birmingham and they are committed to advancing the tech sector locally. And so for me, Birmingham, it's it's still growing. It's not there yet. It's in its infancy as far as where the tech sector could be. But you look at some of the tech businesses that are there from medical tech, like Get Nourished. I mean, what a phenomenal business. And that, you know, anybody that's listening to this, check Get Nourished out. It's it's quite a phenomenal business. It's wonderful to see um, a, a female CEO in such a, a, a dominating tech business. It's wonderful to see. And then you've got... I know a bit about Get Nourished. Can you, for the benefit of the listeners that, that don't, can you just explain what Get Nourished is? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do them a massive disservice now, right? <laughs> so uh, if, if Melissa is watching this, I'm really sorry. But imagine... For, for, for one of a better term, imagine being able to 3D print a multivitamin that is done on the basis of exactly what your body needs and is created along with how your body's going to absorb it best. You create that on an online platform. These then get shipped to your door within the space of, you know, the, the just-in-time world that we live in. Mm. That, that's phenomenal from a medical perspective, from a tech perspective. That's leveraging so many different skill sets. They're a Birmingham business. At the other end of the scale, not from a technological perspective, but just not in 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 you know in any way to do with um, medicine. You've got businesses like Housebots, you know, a, a wall painting robot that can literally scale a ninety degree you know wall surface, painted to the standard of a human being in a few minutes rather than a few hours. And you take out all of the safety concerns, you take out all of the you know the cost measures. Which as we move into a you know uh, we, we move into a very very cost sensitive world, that's incredible. That is literally a story of an entrepreneurial guy and his best mate who happens to be an inventor and they have built one of the most exciting tech businesses that's then got funded by the likes of the Midlands Engine, by Warwick University, by the NatWest Entrepreneur Accelerator. So there is the ecosystem, there is the foundation in Birmingham of a phenomenal tech scene and it's, you know, the first bricks are there, they're, they're being laid. Um, and I don't want anybody to come away from this me thinking I'm a cynic. I'm exceptionally proud of the tech sector. I'm exceptionally proud of the entrepreneurial, you know, ecosystem in Birmingham. But I really don't think it's even 10% of the way there. Mm. I think, you know, the, the the building blocks are there. There's a hell of a lot of people that want to make it work and that will. Uh, I think the Commonwealth Games is actually massive in that, you know, and bringing eyes to Birmingham, bringing more and more investment to the region. A lot of businesses relocating out of London and actually into the UK and deciding not to go to London. Um, as I, I, th I think it's that proverbial, you know, the, the, the bow is pulled back. I think it might be some time before the arrow is released, though. I think there's, there's quite a lot of work that we can do, but it's good work rather than uh, uh, grunt work. And so I'm, I'm curious about the impact of all of this tech um, that, that it has on humanity. Because if we, if we go back to, again, the 1990s, where we were outsourcing to India and China and South America, I don't think anybody ever really appreciated 
the impact of one or two businesses setting up a call center in India yeah. and how that has actually shaped the Indian economy today and the global economy as we know it today. Yeah. So I wonder, and this is a fairly big question, so forgive it, but I wonder what your view is in terms of what does it mean for humanity when we're painting houses with robots or we're 3D printing at the push of a button or or whatever. I mean, it's almost like we whatever we can dream, we can create with technology. And and so, what do, what does that mean for humanity? Do you think that is a big question? I know. To, to be honest with you, I mean, um, have you got four hours? <laughs> Undoubtedly, look with with tech. Tech has the ability to make our lives exceptionally simple. Tech has the ability to make our lives better. That doesn't necessarily mean it's always the right thing to do, right? And and that's the thing. I think you have to measure the opportunities that come from tech, and we have to do it with um with, with purpose like for instance you know i'm sat here in a we work in shoreditch at the moment which i'm aware is the, probably the trendiest thing i'll ever say um <laughs> and i I, di- I dialed into a call with three members of my team with members of teams in you know in various different parts of the world but there were three of us that were all on the same we were all in the same room and we were dialed in off our own laptops with our own headphones you know there has been there, there does come a point where tech facilitates unnecessary behavior However, I think for me, the value that tech continues to play is think about those innovations. Think about the ability to 3D print your own multivitamin. Think about the ability to, you know, uh, have that wall painting robot. Tech has allowed those things to come to fruition, but the expansion of tech probably facilitated those ideas as well. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Yes, the expansion of tech like that, does that reduce the need for, for, for human effort? Does that reduce opportunities for human beings, potentially? But at the same time, would the desire or would the invention or the innovation have originated without that momentum of tech behind it? I don't know. I don't think so. And so I think you have to have one to necessitate the other. Now, what I actually find and what's quite interesting is that you look at the period that we've just gone through. You know, you, you, we've just gone through two and a half years of hardship, still are really, you know, there's, there's positive signs. But at this moment in time, you know, in February 22, this is, you know, we're, a lot of us are still working from home. There's, you know, there's still widespread um, concern about COVID, which is completely justified, I think. But at the same time, think about the last two and a half years. Imagine if the COVID pandemic had happened in the 80s, you know, with the amount of communication that just couldn't have happened, with the amount of, you know, you, you, you couldn't run digital events off a fax machine or anything like that. And so mm-hmm. in some ways, thank goodness COVID happened when there was the technical capability to still deliver. You know, albeit changed, but thank goodness it was still there. At the same time, you now look at this two and a half years later. And I saw a post on LinkedIn, a poll on LinkedIn this morning. Now, I'm aware that they are not the most reliable things in the world, but I think this sort of echoes the mood quite well. And it asked the question very, very simply, uh, when it comes to events at the moment, what's your thinking? And the answers were, you know, um, get me back to in person, online only, or, you know, a a bit of both. And overwhelmingly, the get me back to in person was there. Mm. And so... Very much like we were saying earlier on with tech goes with, you know, there's ebb and flows within the tech industry in certain areas. I think there's ebbs and flows in terms of people's attitudes to tech. It's here to stay. It's part of our lives. But I think people do realize fundamentally there is a point where tech can become exhausted. 
you know for me i would much rather be able to be sat in the room with you having this conversation um lots of people now that events are starting to open again those that feel comfortable you know this is the first time today in, in the office this is the first time I'm, I'm able to actually see my team since the very beginning of november and i've got to tell you it's wonderful you know now for some people that won't matter for me it matters it's a, a huge amount so for me there's definitely a line at which tech ceases to augment and improve my life it's it, it it does augment and improve a huge amount of my life but there does come a point where i think that stops and i think everybody's got that point it's different um but equally you know i to go back to to perhaps the the more hardcore point of of your question which is that you know does tech potentially pose a threat to long-term employment to people's opportunities in terms of what people are employed to do right now yes it, it does but that doesn't mean that that will always be the case because tech has the when tech takes roles in a way through automation or something like that it creates other roles that are that are children and that our children's children will learn I, I, again i saw something uh, and i was actually speaking to a friend of mine who's in the development team at gymshark and he he'd come across a friend of his it's his kid he's eight and their after school club is python coding you know now my after school club was football you know, you know, just, Python coding's come quite a long way, you know, and, the, and their kid on the drive home had said something on the lines of, I got the code wrong because I was missing a semicolon. The computer could tell me that I was missing a semicolon. So if it knew that, why didn't it just do it for me? And I was just like, my God, you know, the, the depth of analytical thinking and coding that, that is just second nature to, to kids nowadays. Yes, they won't necessarily have the same traditional roles. Like, again, to go back to banking, will, relation, will relationship management in banking ever exist fully? I don't know. That's that's one, you know, you, you just think about that and that's not to to single relationship managers in banks out in any, in any way. It's just a case of that's a very, very personal job at the moment. Mm. But then the likes of Starling, Monzo, Revolut come along and actually they they don't have that personal touch. They have an award-winning app, they have an award-winning customer engagement, and they regularly win awards for the best bank voted by customers. You know, and so those kinds of roles may diminish, yes. But you look at how kids are being educated nowadays, you look at the roles that are look at the expansion of the tech sector. The roles simply change. There is still the same number of roles. You look at uh, at the moment, I think there are 66,000 tech roles currently active in the UK. 66,000 tech roles. That is a huge number. And that's just one area of the startup vernacular. That's just one area of the economy. So the, the roles are there, the disciplines change. And I think that's what tech facilitates. But everybody has a point where they go, do you know what, I'm fed up with the computer screen today. Give me a book, give me a glass of wine. I don't even watch, want to watch the TV. I'm zoomed out. Everybody has that point. And I think that's around to stay. I think there will always be a barrier where tech can, can be useful for us. Yeah, and, and going back to talent again, we're, we're working um, longer than we've ever worked before. So where previously our work might have, you know, spanned, I don't know, three decades, it's now spanning five, yeah. um, maybe even six yeah. for some people. Um, how do we make sure that as we get older that we don't get left behind and how do we make sure that we create tech that is inclusive for everybody and i don't just mean the gender ethnicity the the standard things that we would expect it to be inclusive for even though it largely isn't currently and there's still work to do there but how do we make sure that um across um levels of wealth or levels of um, class structure, 
or age demographic that we don't we don't get left behind? You know, it's such a good question, and I was. You know, it's such a good question, and I was asked about this the other day. Asked about this the other day. There is a delay. Sorry about this. It's quite disconcerting. Um, I'll try and filter it. Nevertheless, um, for me, I think it works both ways, and that is that when that there has to be a willingness on those that uh, there has to be a willingness on the part of those that are at risk of being left behind to learn. And then more importantly, on the other side of that, there has to be more of an inclusive culture around tech. What you do tend to find with tech, not not, you know, to any malicious intent, but there's a huge amount of expectation. You know, look at what happened with the iPhone and smartphones. You know, oh, you don't have a smartphone. You know, that that kind of thing can happen. Technology can leave you behind. We've got to do more to eradicate that. You know, and that does tie in with tech accessibility, you know, and now with smartphones to stay with that example, you know, you can pick up a smartphone for 30 quid. Now, I'm aware that, you know, that, that won't still that will exclude a, a, a number of people. But I think you, you have to come at it from both sides. There has to be more done to educate. And of course, this is a short term problem if you look at um, or, or a finite problem rather than a short term problem if you look at tech in the elderly. Now, for instance, you know, my, my nan, bless her, you know, she, she received an iPad for Christmas two or three years ago. Now she's dangerous. You know, <laughs> second that she found out she could put her credit card details in this like iPad, you know, I'm starting to worry about my inheritance, quite frankly. <laughs> um, and so it just shows that, you know, this, my, my nan was 89 at the time when she received an iPad. And for six months or so, she thought, oh, I'll never get this. Now you can't get her off the thing. You know, and so I think there is a lot done by large tech companies to educate, to create great customer experiences that inspire confidence. Historically, when I started working with developers, when I started, you know, when I did a computing degree and everything, I was always worried I was going to break something. It was a bit it's like that IT crowd sketch. Like I'm worried I might break the Internet. You know, I think a lot of, you know, if you type Google into Google, you will, you know, you'll implode kind of thing. And I'm talking very, very simplistically there, but I think there is a lot of fear and a lack of understanding. So we do. We have to do more to educate. We have to do more to, um, to to be inclusive. And I do think that a lot of that starts with education companies, but I do think a lot of it sits with us on an individual level to not stigmatize if somebody has an old piece of technology, that might be all they can afford. You know, to not stigmatize if somebody doesn't have the latest iPhone, to not stigmatize if, you know, uh, people still use Excel instead of a CRM system. Yes, okay, there are obvious advantages to using a CRM system, but if somebody's running an entire business off an Excel spreadsheet, you know what, props to them, because they're working so much harder than if they've got a CRM, and they can still make it work. And so I think everybody has to take a look at themselves, understand why, if at all, they have a problem with somebody with a lower level of tech experience and what they can do to educate. At the other end of that scale, with those that are perhaps in a uh, either a disadvantaged or you know they're they're in a you know in a, in a different situation, there has to be a willingness to learn there. I personally would happily sit down and 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 teach or support anybody to become more tech savvy, and I think a lot of people would. I'm sure you would too. So that there has to be the willingness on their part. There has to be the willingness on the part of us that are sort of within the tech vernacular or very comfortable with tech to not judge people on the basis of having less knowledge than we do, you know, because uh, fundamentally we knew absolutely jack nothing at some point. And you know, the only way that we are now comfortable with it is because other people helped us because we spent the time. Mm. And I think that that, peer, that positive reinforcement doesn't exist very much in tech. And I think we have to find a way to bring that. Okay, final question for you, Josh. 
Um, what would your advice be to any tech startup or business that is looking to grow? Not that, that's just Google Calendar. Um, <laughs> I thought that was your brain. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good, my advice for any tech business looking to start up or looking to grow. Have a, have a super clear vision of what growth looks like for you. And the reason that I say that is, one, you wouldn't get in a car and ask you sat where you want to go. And it's very, very, you know, it can only help you if you put the destination in, you know, because otherwise you could, there, are, there will be so many different roads that you could take along the way to your destination. And that's a very, very good metaphor for, for the tech industry. I mean, there are so many roads that you could take that will take you off on a tangent, don't lead to your destination, but they look interesting. Or, you know, they, they, they offer the chance of being a mile quicker or 20 minutes quicker. And then you go down that route and you find actually you lose a hell of a lot of time because you get stuck behind a tractor or, you know, whatever. Very, very similar in the tech industry at the moment. You could have the most honest and pure desire to build a tech business and have a, a you know, a, a decent idea of what you want to do. But if you haven't got the clarity of vision, if you haven't categorized what good looks like, then with the amount of opportunities around investments, partnerships, international expansions, so many different trade deals, the UK, UK PLC at the moment is doing a massive investment drive post-Brexit. So there are loads and loads of opportunities that you could take, but it's around whether you do. It's I see so many tech businesses at the moment drifting, drifting around, you know, and I'm actually like, well, are you actually moving forward or are you just having a great time? Because there's nothing wrong with just having a great time, but are you actually moving forward where you want to go? The tech world is so competitive. With investment comes competition. Of course it does. And so if you haven't got a super clear vision of what you're trying to work towards, then you can stagnate. You can actually just have a lot of fun, but stay where you are. And whilst you're stopping where you are having a great time, a competitor with a clearer vision than you is streaking ahead. Well, I, I think... love that, Josh. Thank you for that. Because what you've done is you've brought it full circle back to being human again, because yeah. effectively what you said is not about have the latest tech or the, you know, the best advice for a startup or someone looking to grow. It's about being human and using your human brain to work out where you want to go. And the tech's not going to work that out for you. Of course it's, it's not. It's the of human it's beings not. who are going to work out where is it that we want to take technology and how do we want to use it? And then we program technology to work for us yeah. rather than the other way around. Absolutely that. Thank that, you that, so that, much absolutely. for your time today. No worries at all. Lovely to chat to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Josh. Well, wasn't that fab? The growth of tech businesses continues to astonish me and it's exciting to consider where it might go next. Tech is at the heart of every business and if we want to grow businesses we need to consider how we use tech to create innovative solutions to human problems. Tech can be used as a force for good or we can allow it to control our lives. What problem are you currently experiencing and what innovative solution might tech provide? That's it for this week. You've been listening to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech Week. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I hope you've been as inspired by this week's guest as I have. If you'd like to know more about how I help leaders and teams be more human in a world of technology, you may be surprised to discover I do it by working in a field with a herd of horses. Sound crazy? 
all innovation is crazy in the beginning. So if you like to think outside of the box and get rapid results, you can find out more at www.judegenison.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the exciting technology scene in Birmingham, hop onto the Birmingham Tech website at www.birminghamtechweek.com. Until next time, that's it from me, Jude Jennison, the official podcast partner for Birmingham Tech. <laughs>